Hey, Young and Profiters, if you're an avid listener of our show, I would like to personally invite you to Yap Society on Slack. Network with other professionals who listen to Yap, chat live with guests, and share your projects with the group. We'd love to have you. Go to bit.ly slash Yap Society. That's bit.ly slash Yap Society. You can find the link in our show notes. This episode of Yap is sponsored by Fiverr. I've been using Fiverr for years. In fact, I got the Yap logo made on there. And if you've seen my cool audiograms with animated cartoons, I get those images from Fiverr too. They have affordable digital marketing services and over 100,000 talented freelancers to choose from. The best part is that it's super affordable. If you're interested to give Fiverr a shot, hit the link in our show notes. Did you know that the rate of reviews plays a huge factor in Yap's Apple podcast ranking? If you listen to Yap on Apple podcasts, but never gave us a review, we would greatly appreciate if you left one and took a few minutes of your time to share your feedback. This will help us secure sponsorships and remain a free resource to you all. Thanks in advance for your Apple podcast review. You're listening to Yap, Young and Profiting Podcast, a place where you can listen, learn, and profit. I'm your host, Halataha, and today we're speaking with Jonas Koffler. Jonas is the co-author of Hustle, the power to charge your life with money, meaning, and momentum, and has been featured in outlets like Time, Fast Company, Business Insider, and NPR, among others. He's a serial entrepreneur and a hustler whose ventures include the digital health and mental wellness startups, Lada Labs, and Radical Wellness Incorporated. Jonas is also a stroke survivor. In this episode, we discuss how to develop a healthy pop or personal opportunity portfolio, why we should rethink Gladwell's 10,000 hour rule to mastery to support being a multifaceted and talented worker, and how we can manufacture our own luck. We also dig into what Jonas has learned from his near-death experience and why mental wellness has become his purpose in life. Hey Jonas, welcome to Young and Profiting Podcast. A pleasure speaking with you, Hala. Very happy to be here and uh, eternally grateful for you having me. Likewise, I can't wait for this interview. You know, I've heard you on other podcasts and you have such a great message. So looking forward to this chat. Let's start off by introducing you to our listeners in a really fun way. You have this concept. It's called POP, which you cover in your book, Hustle, that you co-authored with Neil Patel and Patrick Valskofowitz. Hopefully I said that okay. Vlaskovitz. 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 So POP stands for your personal opportunity portfolio, which you recommend as a framework to profit in life. So tell us, what different entrepreneurial adventures are you involved in and what makes up your pop right now? Sure. So, I mean, I think there are a couple ways to think about it, but um, as a guiding framework, it's a way of kind of organizing and making sense of the effort and energy you put out into the world, whether it's artistic projects or creative projects, entrepreneurial projects, or you know, intellectual projects, however you may look at it. The idea is to continuously build and grow and add value into this portfolio, much like you would, you know, an investment portfolio. So, so the idea is that it's something that you have direct physical control over, right? You're growing your basket of, of how you invest in yourself. And it's an interesting way of looking at the world because it's incredibly empowering on the one hand, right? And the other side of it is that you uniquely are in control of it. So you can adjust, you know, quote unquote, to sort of actively manage your own portfolio, so to speak. And you don't have to put your future in the hands of other people. So that's, that's the unique differentiator. And how does that apply to my own life? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, you know, we're 
constantly and continuously growing and changing and shifting the things we focus on in, in our worlds. And so for me right now, just to name a, a couple of projects, one is a documentary film called We Care Here, which is about musicians and mental health and community in Austin, Texas. Austin, the live music capital of the world, um, is also undergoing this incredible growth right now and a higher cost of living. And that impacts musicians' abilities to support and sustain themselves in their, their creative pursuits. And so this is putting a lens on a very distinct locality and a very distinct situation wherein Austin is wonderful and it continues evolving, but how does it evolve in a way that is supportive of the, the cultural root or heart, if you will, of the city and of the, in a way that honors the tradition, so to speak, without losing its soul, right? And that's a tough thing when um, you're, you're trying to sustain growth and also attract technology and, um, you know, these disruptive forces that are, that have both incredibly positive aspects, but also some negative aspects. So it's, mm -hmm. it's that, that story and um, looking at how musicians can continue thriving amidst these, um, these shifts, right? Cool. Well, that's one thing. And then the other um, is a new startup called Lotta Labs. And Lotta Labs is a mobile development and software company that is focused on looking at how we can better empower individuals and communities to uh, live healthier, more active lives and engage with people of like mind. And so that's what, we're, that's what we've developed our technology around. That's what we're continuing to, to suss out and, and figure out how we can better serve people. So that's very early in its arc, and uh, we'll be uh, launching our beta at some point in, um, in early 2020. That's excellent. And we'll be covering, you know, both of those projects in more detail later on in the interview. First, let's get some idea of your background. So in your own words, you had a lot of weird jobs throughout your life. So tell us about some of the things that you worked on and some of the different jobs that you've had over the years. Sure. So, you know, mapping or hewing to this idea of the personal opportunity portfolio without knowing it, the constant act of self-discovery, right, know thyself, is revealed when we put ourselves out and we try things that are uncomfortable, that bring us discomfort, that challenge us in unique and, and sometimes onerous ways. So that could be anything from working as a stonemason or digging ditches uh, or something physically very demanding of our bodies, right? A lot of us are out of touch with our bodies because we're so trapped in our heads and staring into a screen of electrons for 23 hours a day, right? So it's, you know, it starts with an arc uh, in various physical labor and, uh, and then transcends into, long story short, into creative endeavors and being a musician and a filmmaker and then working in technology and startups and having some health setbacks and so forth, including a stroke mm -hmm. uh, that informs what you're capable of, you know, when you need to step back and slow down a little bit and then to continue on a path of learning and growing such that you're able to work with incredible people, including, in my case, some moguls in, in different industries, entertainers who have pulled off some incredible uh, artistic feats, and, and then always asking the question, do I feel sustained here and supported? Do I feel like I'm making a meaningful contribution? And then, you know, looking at new ways to push yourself. So that's manifested in many, many sort of different careers, if you will, or, or many lives, if you will, in the, in the cat-like sense. For me, 
Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the, the key here has been this idea of doing something that moves you, right? Yeah. So for, for me, it's, it's, it's asking, you know, asking the questions, you know, am I uh, maintaining that movement toward a goal, right? Bettering my life as, in, in ways that, that I can and ways that challenge me. Because I think the worst thing we can do is to, to settle. And I think, you know, you know that, you love what you do, you can hear um, the passion and the curiosity in your voice, in your interviews. So, you know, for me, it's, it's, it's very much that. Yeah. So you had all these jobs. At what point did you take control of your life and decide that you were going to be an entrepreneur and have, you know, it sounds like you do like multiple projects. You always have multiple hustles going on. At what point did you say, I'm going to stop doing a nine to five and I'm just going to be the owner of my life? As far as a distinct point of departure, let's call it, I think that was um, probably, it, I, I mean, the seed was planted very early on. You know, I had the blessing of being able to work at a startup very early on, become a product manager, you know, in my 20s. And I think growing the confidence where I could put myself out there, that probably happened, you know, my early 20s. I, I think that the clear point of wanting to become an entrepreneur and understanding the, on the one hand, the incredible liberation that you, you reap from being an entrepreneur is, is something that takes time to, to sort of blossom in your life. And for me, it was probably um, late 20s when I kind of got the entrepreneurial itch and then, mm-hmm. you know, post-stroke and then um, have kind of parlayed that in different ways. But keep in mind, you know, being entrepreneurial is not, you know, in my mind, it's not that you're a pure entrepreneur. You may vacillate. You may at one point be working for yourself. And especially in this dynamic economy we're all part of now, Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's, it's not uncommon to have some kind of entrepreneurial pursuit or project you're working on either individually as a solo artist or uh, in, in collaboration, but also you may maintain a, a job that really gives you meaning and challenges you and also helps sustain the physical frame. It pays you a decent amount of money and, and you're part of a mission that you really believe in. So mm-hmm. um, I think for me, you know, entrepreneurship has been great, but at the same time, I'm very open to collaboration with with companies and with individuals. So it's, it's a, you know, it's, it's not one path. It's mm-hmm. actually many, I think, baked in, if that answers the question. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so let's talk about your stroke. You've mentioned it a few times. It happened when you were 26. It left you temporarily blind, loss of some verbal capabilities, and I'm sure you can explain it better. I'd like you to explain, like, what happened with your stroke, but I also wanted to just connect it to a point. I had Robert Green on my show And he's the author of 48 Laws of Power. And we talk about this law of death denial. And in essence, this law is about humans not facing reality, humans avoiding thoughts of death. We fear death and that we're all in this death denial, this constant death denial. And Robert suggested that we should accept our deaths and think of our deaths, keep death on our minds so that we live with more purpose and urgency to realize our goals. I believe your stroke was was a near death experience. So I'm wondering, like, does does that resonate with you? And you know, could you explain more about your stroke and what happened and how it's altered your life since then? Sure, happy to do so. So I do agree very much with the point that Robert and many other perennial philosophers have surfaced and shared. And the idea is very simple: that, and especially in our society, we are an age denying, death denying, in many cases illness-denying culture. Well, you know, guess what? We're all going to die. We're all marching that same path toward an indeterminate future when at some point the bus runs us over, right? It's just going to happen. So 
it's important to make that point. And th there's a lot more to it having, you know, lost my, one of my younger brothers to suicide in the last year plus. I can comment on the pitfalls of that denial. And I also think that's a very important point to make, which is that life is incredibly short. It's ephemeral. And for us, as unique individuals, and I would argue spiritual beings having a human experience, that the stroke for me was, in, in fact, a way of God stroking me and saying, hey, you need to take better care of yourself. That's my interpretation, right? Mm -hmm. Universe or energetically, however you want to define God, for me, it was a very clear indicator that, hey, man, your life is not, you know, you're not aligned right with health. You need to step back. You need to check yourself. And so for me, that, you know, it was a great humbling experience. And I think we need more humbling experiences because they bring us back to what really matters in terms of priorities and values and how we should orient our lives, right? If we, if we want to enjoy life and sort of nurture ourselves and, and so forth. So that was the experience. It was an ischemic stroke as opposed to a hemorrhagic. Ischemic strokes typically are more short-lived. Mm -hmm. uh, there are, given today's stressors and other compounding factors, are a number of younger folks who are at risk and suffering from these types of experiences and setbacks. And you know, on the, the, the New York Times article that I wrote, it solicited or it generated a hell of a lot of responses and and uh, emails and so forth, uh, and calls that, that I had to deal with from other young people who had been suffering from similar symptoms. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, I think the, the lesson here, Tala, is like, you know, you need to know to listen to your body and to your mind and to not be so sort of gung-ho about it or cavalier. Yeah. Clearly, that was one like bifurcating point in my life. You know, it was time to make a, to take a right turn, so to speak, and to, to slow down, put the brakes on. So that's one of the lessons um, without sounding too cliche, I think the important thing is also understanding that it's actually okay to slow down, right? Mm -hmm. There's all this emphasis on like pedal to the metal and don't stop. And that's great, but it's actually more about, and much like you would with a company for your career, it's, it's really kind of the, it's hustling fast and slow, right? There are times when you have to move quickly and you have to work to get things done. You know, you have deadlines, et cetera, et cetera. But mm -hmm. there are also times when it's important to step back and create some, some white space on the calendar, so to speak, when you can plug back into health and taking care of yourself and being around people who love and support you and vice versa and doing things that get your mind off of work. So, yeah. I mean, all of that is sort of, you know, some of the lessons learned. But I think the biggest thing is to the extent that, you know, Robert Greene, as we opened with, was discussing like this idea of death denial. Well, there's also this denial that many of us really are far too focused on work. And if we're at the point where it's 99% of our lives, you know, we're going to be suffering, whether we know it or, or like it or not. So, you know, it's, it's, I think it's for those listening to this, it's worth taking a moment and stepping back and thinking about like gratitude for all the things that aren't working in your life and maybe spending more time or carving out in your calendar ways to celebrate those things that aren't work and put your heart into, you know, taking care of some other people and if you're not going to take care of yourself, at least start there. Yeah. What were the events that led up to your stroke? From my understanding, you were working a job where you were working like 70 hours a week and you were taking naps instead of sleeping. So the, the circumstances were such that, um, you know, look, you're, you're in startup mentality, you're young and ambitious, and there is this invisibility cloak that you drape 
you know, you grape on yourself every day. So the, the challenge was, if you're not sleeping well, you're working, you know, crazy hours, and then you're also sort of moonlighting with the, the dream of becoming a film director, something has to give. And in my case, the circumstances were over-caffeinating, not sleeping, not eating well, exhausting myself to the point where, you know, I thought I'd recover at some point on my own terms. And the, the thing that we need to, again, be aware of is that we have human limitations. Yeah. And sleep is probably, you know, there's a multi-billion dollar industry now <laughs> around sleep. It should be unsurprising to us, right? Well, why is that? It's because we're so out of alignment with this mm -hmm. idea that, you know, seven to eight hours of sleep a night is actually required. Yeah. It just is. And, you know, you, you can caffeinate yourself to the point where you think it isn't, but you need your rest. And I, at the time, I didn't think I did. And it's very mm -hmm. simple that, you know, given stress of work and stress of not resting and so forth, those stressors are going to compound and bite you in the ass at some point. And in yeah. my case, um, it bit me in the brain. And, and, you know, I was very, very fortunate to recover to the extent that I have. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's a theme that, you know, especially younger people, they think that they're invincible, but you're really not. And getting your rest is important. You know, like you said, seven to eight hours at minimum. I actually have an entire episode around this. It's called Unlocking the Power of Sleep with Daniel Gartenberg. It's one of our most popular episodes. If you guys are interested, check it out. It's number 12 on the playlist. So what was your process of recovery like? I read that you used yoga and meditation and you used to do complex math problems. So I, th I thought it was really interesting if you could just explain how you basically cured yourself. Well, I, I wouldn't, I don't know if I characterize it as curing, but what I would say is, you know, very simply, you need to explore or test the parameters of your mental capacity, especially when you've had a TBI or traumatic brain injury. So this idea that you can regenerate the neural tissue, right? Neuroplasticity. You're able at, at some point to challenge this idea that, you know, your brain is, is permanently damaged. For me, it was, okay, I'm young. I understand. And I did, look, I studied neuroscience. So, I, you know, that maybe that put me in a, an advantageous position, but I didn't know what I was capable of or what I, you know, what I had lost at that point. Um, mm -hmm. So the articulation challenges, right? As a linguist, like, okay, well, language actually really matters. Uh, it's important. It's a priority for me. I have to be able to my thoughts effectively. But mm -hmm. if I don't, if I lack the words, if I don't have the, the capacity to verbalize what I'm thinking, which was actually the problem, I could, I could think of an idea, but I couldn't convey it, right? It wouldn't mm. leave my lips. Do you follow? So I had to start very simply. One was to read old books that I'd enjoyed, but maybe, I, you know, because of the, the damage I had experienced, I'd forgotten. Or start learning new words or, or relearning language that I had lost. That was mm -hmm. one aspect and one part of the brain, so to speak. Uh, studying physics, <laughs> reading physics, or trying to work through complex math problems, as you mentioned. Actually, mm -hmm. it's incredibly stimulating. I recommend it. By the way, you don't have to suffer a stroke to work through <laughs> complex math. <laughs> Even if you're you know, sort of more verbally oriented, it's always good to challenge your brain and to revisit calculus or trigonometry, whatever moves you in that regard. Uh, it's a fun exercise to do. But, um, you know, in my case, I, I love physics. And so those types of things. One specific task that or activity that I found fun and challenging was to, to find polysyllabic words and to spell them backwards. Mm. So, you know, I 
I would do that often in you know, arachnophobia or Czechoslovakia were two of the big ones that I would just repeat over and over <laughs> and then add additional words until I could get up to 20 or 30 words, spelling them backwards at a time. And then I knew, okay, well, my brain is still kind of working. So this is good. Uh, this is encouraging, right? Sort of like doing a systems check on a, a rocket ship. <laughs> you know, are we all systems go? You know, what can be repaired? Mm-hmm. What can be fixed, et cetera. So it was that kind of thing. And then from a, a more metaphysical or energetic standpoint, my girlfriend at the time would do Reiki on me, you know, so energetic therapy, yoga and meditation were instrumentally important. Why? Because they slowed down and taught me how to, to use breath work, right, as a healing tool. So understanding that most of, the, of our days are spent using breath as a very sort of passive, um, unconscious mm-hmm. experience. But instead, if you make it a more active and conscious uh, experience, so maybe taking, you know, spending literally 30 minutes or an hour a day just breathing, right? If you can do that, it really has a profound impact on your thoughts and feelings. It calms you, right? it removes anxiety. It also can be very energizing and very centering. So all of those things are incredibly important, especially for busy professionals. I applied that and I learned that early on and I was very fortunate in that regard. So again, well, yeah, the stroke was a setback, but was it? I think mm. in many ways it was a tool of empowerment, as crazy as that sounds. Yeah. You know, that's so inspiring. And you should be so proud that, you know, you went through such a traumatic experience and came out almost better as a result. So you should be very proud of that accomplishment. And for everybody listening, I think a key lesson in this is just take time to slow down, you know, take half an hour out of your day, take an hour out of your day just to to breathe, to meditate, to think about things, to enjoy, do something fun, whether it's working out or talking to somebody that you love. Make sure that your life is not only about work. Not everything is about being productive and making money. Sometimes it's just about enjoying your life. I think that's a really important lesson in all this. So let's move on to your book, Hustle. It's split into three parts, the heart, the head, and the habits. I'm not going to spend the whole interview on this book because there's a lot to cover, but I do want to give my listeners key takeaways. Let's start off with the heart, which is all about following your own dreams rather than others. And one of my personal mottos is that hustle and heart sets you apart. (laughs) So I'd love to hear your perspective on heart and what that has to do with hustle. Sure. So the the premise is this. Um, It doesn't start in the head. It actually starts in the heart. And what we mean is that, that the heart should be one of the huge pieces that guides us or moves us forward. If you think about what really drives you and motivates you, deep down, I think people, everyone wants a sense of validation or recognition or respect. Those things are vitally important, a dignity. And the, the piece about the heart, the theme is very simply packed up in the first unseen law of hustle, which is do something that moves you, right? So this idea of movement, energy, physical manifestation that only comes from the heart the heart you know pumps our blood through our body and oxygen allows us to to do the things that we need to do on a daily basis but so many of us are out of touch with that and frustrated and so i think the thing is to start start at the center which is the heart and the heart of life and the heart of the experience is to do something that charges your life with a sense of energy enthusiasm And for us as entrepreneurs, this idea that we can actually change the world, right, in our own small way. And that all is baked into this idea of doing something that moves you. 
So for those who are feeling stuck, tap back into the heart, get out of your comfort zone and start doing something that moves you. And maybe just place some small bets on yourself. That's, that's the main thing. Just get moving. That's mm-hmm. the heart idea. Yeah. In the book, you guys use an analogy that suggests that working for another person or company is, quote unquote, renting your dream. And you can't rent and own your dream at the same time. For me, I'm, I'm essentially renting and owning at the same time. I work full time at Disney and then I have a side job of running this podcast. So what are your feelings of side hustles? Young and profiters, they may call me the podcast princess, but I'm also the LinkedIn queen. I've been a LinkedIn influencer for six years now, and I teach one of the most popular courses about LinkedIn. And I love to teach sales on LinkedIn because when it comes to B2B sales, LinkedIn has got that on lock. LinkedIn is where all the decision makers are hanging out. There are 180 million senior level decision makers on LinkedIn and 10 million C-suite decision makers. These people are on LinkedIn and they're in the mode to buy. They're using LinkedIn for their buying journey to research vendors or sales reps that they might work with, to look up how to solve their problems, to learn from industry thought leaders. They are in the mode to buy, whereas on other platforms, they're in the mode to be entertained. You want to get them in the right mindset. You want to cut through the noise with LinkedIn ads. In fact, 79% of B2B marketers rate LinkedIn as their top channel for paid media. And LinkedIn has the best targeting because they've got all these different inputs. People are putting their resume basically up on there. And so there's so many keywords that they can use to target the right decision makers so they can hear about how you solve their problems. And I've got a special gift for all you young and profiters who want to try LinkedIn ads. You can get a $100 credit. LinkedIn was super generous. If you want to make B2B marketing everything it can be and get a $100 credit on your next campaign, go to linkedin.com slash yap, Y-A-P. Again, if you want to claim your credit, go to linkedin.com slash yap. Terms and conditions apply. Young and profiters, as you may know, I launched my LinkedIn Secrets Masterclass a little bit over a year ago. It was my first course. And so far, I've generated well over $500,000. And the best part is I didn't have to figure out how to set up my mastermind subscriptions, how to do abandoned cart targeting and all of that tech geeky stuff. I just left that all to Shopify. (laughs) Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. And if you're in that, I need to sell more with less stage. Shopify Magic is your AI super-powered sidekick ready to whip up captivating content that converts. And it doesn't matter if you're selling digital products or vegan cosmetics. Shopify helps you sell anything, anywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Stop those online window shoppers in their tracks and turn them into loyal customers with the internet's best converting checkout. I'm talking 36% better on average compared to the other options out there. It's no wonder Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S., including huge global brands like Allbirds and Thrive Cosmetics. It took me a day to set up my Shopify store. I set up chat, took two minutes, and I was done. One month from thinking of the idea to implementation, a year later, I've made half a million dollars on the idea. That's what it takes in 2024, just a good idea. And then utilizing a platform like Shopify that can help you make it a reality. There is No excuse these days. If you've got a good business idea and you think you'll be a good entrepreneur, you don't have to wait any longer. You don't have to be super techie. 
and you never have to worry about figuring it out on your own. Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash profiting. That's all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash profiting now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash profiting. Young and profiters, are you dreaming about starting a course? Do you want to go from one to one to one to many and scale yourself? If you're thinking about starting a course, then you need to hear about Kajabi. Kajabi is the OG of course platforms. I've got creators in my network like Jenna Kutcher and Amy Porterfield who have been using Kajabi for over a decade. These ladies know what they're doing. They are literally the course queens. And so I took a page from their playbook and I started using Kajabi. I've been playing around with it because I'm launching a podcast course next month and I need a lot of features that only a course platform would have like Kajabi. And they've thought of it all. No matter your niche, Kajabi makes it easy to turn your skills, passions, and experiences into enriching online courses, exclusive membership sites, subscription podcasts, thriving communities, personalized coaching, and so much more. One of the smartest things that I did when I launched my course is I focused on the content. I lasered in on that. I made sure people were getting the best investment they could, that I wouldn't get any refunds, that people would tell their friends, and my course would be successful by word of mouth. And I did that by focusing on my content, what I was good at, and not all the tech. Leave the tech stuff for your course to Kajabi. They are experts in that area, and they've thought of everything that you would ever need for your course. So if you want to start your course, now is your chance. As you guys may know, I always ask my sponsors for a free trial for any software that we talk about on the show. And Kajabi was super generous. They gave us a free 30-day trial that you can get at kajabi.com profiting. Right now, Kajabi is offering a free 30-day trial to start your business if you go to kajabi.com profiting. That's K-A-J-A-B-I.com profiting. Go to kajabi.com profiting and join the creators and entrepreneurs who have made over $7 billion. Sure. I mean, again, it's this idea that, look, um, it's okay to start small. Anything mm-hmm. that you do that begins to propel you forward, like any small step you take, whether it's a simple conversation, whether it's you know, blocking an hour of time to, to write every day, whether it's doing you know, some kind of project and collaboration with others, that puts you in motion, right? So mm-hmm. the idea that the end-all be-all is ownership of your dream. Yes, fundamentally, you uniquely as an individual should be unapologetically ambitious about taking ownership of mm-hmm. your dream and your life. Mm-hmm. But ownership may require you at times to, to be a little patient. And if that means working for other people or working on something that you may not be 100% enthusiastic about, that's okay. It's a stepping stone. It's a lesson and a learning curve that you will undertake. And, uh, and the important thing is just to keep your head clear about that, right? The clarity you gain from it. So, you know, one thing that I recommend there as far as the ownership piece is for where you are right now, it's just to you sort of try to block your life or break it up into, into yearly goals. And, and look, that's a much longer conversation. But the point is, don't overthink the why. The more important thing is just to start doing and moving toward these, these goals or objectives that are important to you and hold yourself accountable, right? That's mm-hmm. the important thing. And then, you know, the other thing that I think is really important about this ownership idea 
is that you have time, right? At least to the extent that you know you understand how time works. You have time to do this. You're going to have some time to do the things you want to do, but don't put it off at the same time, right? Mm-hmm. So, so there's sort of like the the idea that within any day or week or month or even year, you will have time to explore things that are important to you. That in and of itself is an expression or statement of ownership, right? Yeah. It is a declaration that I am going to pursue these things. And you know what? Even if you're working for a job that you hate, you can still carve out time that you need. And I imagine any enlightened boss or manager will say, you know what? You should be exploring that. Go allow yourself to do that. As long as you're accountable and responsible for the work you're doing, like yep. we are here to support and ensure that we inspire and encourage other people to move forward in their lives. Why the hell else will we be here? Totally. Yeah, I'm on the same page. I think that there's sometimes in life you've got to juggle both. But I think everybody's end goal is to ultimately get paid for what they're passionate about and have complete ownership of their dreams. So I'm totally on the same page. So let's move on to another topic. Your book mentions Malcolm Gladwell and how he popularized the work of psychologist Kay Anders Erickson, who said that world-class achievement in any field could be had by anyone who dedicated 10,000 hours of deliberate practice. He called this the 10,000-hour rule, which many of us have probably heard of, basically saying that you can master anything if you put in 10,000 hours of work. But you guys who wrote this book, you were opposed to this idea, and you also proposed an alternative. So can you just talk to our listeners about that? Sure. I'm I'm happy to (laughs) to challenge Gladwell. I actually have a funny anecdote about Gladwell. (laughs) Gladwell is a uniquely talented exceptional, arguably one of the best packager of ideas out there, okay? And he's a, he's a fabulous storyteller. and I enjoy mm-hmm. reading his work very much, and I'm actually a fan of outliers. However, the science behind the 10,000-hour rule has largely debunked this, this, this whole notion of, like, you know, it's 10,000 hours to get good at something. Here's the issue, okay? Number one is if, you're, if you don't know what you're, you're capable of, right, you should not commit to doing one thing too early in your career or your art. You should instead mm-hmm. try a lot of different things. And in doing so, you determine what you have talent for and how you want to invest your time. The, the 10,000 hour rule is not only is sort of untrue and misguided and dangerous for most people, but it can be a great limiter. So the thing to remember is for a lot of us, because talent is unequally distributed. You may be good at 10 things you're unaware of right now. Mm-hmm. Seriously. And many of us have all of these hidden talents. The challenge for us and what, what, what hustle is, is really about is this notion of surfacing our hidden talents or surfacing our human potential. But most of us get stuck in this trap of just trying one or two or three things. And that in and of itself is a prison. So what I would say is this, 10,000 hours is, you know, it's a huge amount of time. So instead, why not start with a few dozen or a few hundred hours to get, good, get, to get adequately good at something? that you mm-hmm. can sustain yourself with, I meaning you can, you can make money from, right? Whether it's a, a professional pursuit or it's an artistic pursuit or whatever. So it's not simply about mastery. Pursuit of mastery is a false goal. And you can waste a lot of time focusing on this, what we call the madness of mastery in the book. Instead, I think the more important thing is that you figure out what you're good at, where your talents reside, and then focusing on those things. So that maps back to the whole idea of the personal opportunity portfolio. For each of us, I think it's worth, again, this reflect, self-reflection uh, activity, which is to say, here are three buckets I want to wrap my, my, my professional 
life around at this moment, because we're going to change constantly and evolve throughout our lives. One is writing. Okay, I'm a decent writer. Okay, I can tell stories. I can ghostwrite a bestseller. I can you know work on a film script. Blah 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 blah. Okay, that's great. I have this skill set. Um, I've applied it. Here's how I'm sustaining myself. Two, I'm a good marketer, right? I'm just saying anyone hypothetically can think about it. Mm-hmm. I've done X, Y, and Z. Or three is I am exceptional about understanding how to grow and scale a business, right? So, and here are three examples of that. And I can start constructing this portfolio around these talents. And the proof, as, as we speak about in the evidence of that, the track record, if you will, of how I've done those things. So don't commit to only one thing, you know, mm-hmm. unless you're going to be, you know, there are certain cases where this might apply. There are a few exceptions, right? Chess, a chess master in, in, in the sense of like a, a Kasparov, right? Mm-hmm. Or um, a uniquely talented pianist like my nephew, right? Um, who's also now picked up trumpet. So there you go with the 10,000 hour rule. Uh, <laughs> there are exceptions, but in general, for most people, we can pursue a few different talents, a few different pursuits, a few different reflections of the things that we're really good at. Those will sustain us, will not only be adequate, but will actually be very, very good at them. And we can pursue them throughout our lives and continue adding skills and adding other ways to express our talent instead of just pigeonholing ourselves. So that's the danger of the 10,000 hour rules. If you want to, you know, more research, just look up 10,000 hour rule debunked. And you'll see that the very scientists who who looked at this, who, you know, from whom Bible-based his work, um, largely debunked the idea. So, so don't get trapped into thinking that. It's a, it's a control system. I would in, instead encourage people to liberate themselves and think about mm-hmm. uniquely, what am I good at? What have I not explored? What are some new ways to, to figure out what I'm good at? And start there. Yeah. And I think that's really great advice, especially in today's like gig economy world. There's so many freelance opportunities out there and so many ways that you can make money online using skills that aren't necessarily 100% perfect yet. There's so many different levels of job opportunities out there that you can explore and make money off of, even if you're not, you know, the best person in the world at a certain skill. So I think that's great advice. How does luck and risk play into all of this? So this is really kind of interesting and and two sides of the I wouldn't say the same coin per se, but there's, there's a lot there. So mm-hmm. when we think about, we'll handle luck in a second. Let's start with, with kind of risk. The, okay. the whole idea of, of risk is that for, for most people, risk is really the deciding factor in, in one sense of confidence and one sense of confidence as well. Risk is a hugely important and often overlooked, let's call it an attribute or a skill, if you will. To engage in risk and to develop an appetite for risk is actually a really good thing. It's critically important, especially, especially for entrepreneurs from a survival standpoint, but also sort of a learning and growing standpoint. And so the the I think one of the things that I want to I want to focus on when it comes to risk is this idea that while risk can be overwhelming and terrifying for most people, right? That if you don't take risk, it can be the sort of the biggest determinant of your dissatisfaction in life. Most of us, I think, are afraid of failure and therefore won't put ourselves out. We don't want to, to see ourselves fail. We don't want to deal with the connotations of failure around our identities and so forth. And instead, I would say, if that's you, the better way to think about risk is to start with very small examples, 
small feats or small challenge, small bets that you place on yourself. So you don't have to take massive risks, right? We're not asking you to run through a wall of fire and um, to jump off a, you know, a thousand foot cliff with no parachute. Like that's ridiculous mm -hmm. and no one should do that. But, you know, maybe it's as simple as asking questions of how you work, how you do work every day. Um, are there better ways to, to try things, right? So, or, you know, maybe it's challenging your company or yourself to, to take on uh, a new project uh, in innovation or, and, you know, it's things that you can, you're willing to fail at because if the other side of risk is, is exquisite, meaning if it works out, you're going to gain so much. Even if it doesn't, even if you fail, you're still going to, you know, you're going to learn a hell of a lot. And that's mm -hmm. what I encourage people to think about when it comes to luck. We have kind of a theory about luck. And that is that luck is a component of our DNA and it bubbles up from deep within our bone matter when we, when we need it most. And so the idea is, is this, that life is not about being lucky or unlucky. Life is about continually striving toward things that are important to you and surfacing luck vis-a-vis -vis the DNA in the process. And so this uh, luck is a sort of the survival mechanism, survival tool. We baked luck into and broke it down into four different components, right? And this is largely based on the work of James Austin, um, mm -hmm. who's at Stanford. But, but the idea is simple, that there is a very, there's sort of a constant stream of what we call dumb or random luck. It's the luck of, you know, you're, it's Thanksgiving and you're, you're looking for the elusive turkey and you drive into a Whole Foods that is packed to capacity and a parking spot opens. You walk in the door and you're greeted with the last turkey uh, available. And, and guess what? You get it. There's, that's the first sort of random or dumb luck, right? Mm -hmm. The second level of luck is the luck of motion. That's hustle luck. And this is the, the luck that you manifest or generate simply through movement. You know, back to this whole idea of the, the first unseen law of hustle, which is do something that moves you. When you get out and move around and shake things up, which to us is essentially what hustle means, you're going to surface possibilities that you can see before, hear before, mm -hmm. find before. That's the luck of motion. The third level of luck is called hidden luck. And hidden luck is a little more sophisticated. It's the luck of creative synthesis. It's being able to take two disparate ideas, concepts, or some secret knowledge that only you know, and connect it in a meaningful way that makes sense and adds value in the world. And the mm -hmm. last component of luck, which is the luck that I think most people uh, should uh, embrace, is this idea of quirky luck. It's our individuality. It's the luck that defines who we are, the luck that that people characterize us with, right? It's that mm -hmm. it's the things that make us who we are, whether it's, you know, it's dressing in a certain way or speaking within a certain way, or, um, you know, having some attributes like using a sense of humor for Christ's sake, right? Uh, or being able to take or willing to take some risks and do the things that, that set you apart, not to be an asshole, but to be a decent human being, but also be willing to be unconventional and to be yourself authentically. Fully, mm. right? Not simply mimicking, you know, Steve Jobs with the black turtleneck and, and jeans and speaking tech parlance. No, it's being yourself. That's the key, quirky luck. And, uh, and if you do that, guess what? You be yourself, people are going to like you and they're going to respect you. And so it's an incredibly empowering force. Yeah, I totally agree. I think that all those different levels of luck are super interesting. So thanks for sharing. Let's move on to the second pillar of your book, the head. Could you just summarize the key takeaways about that principle? Sure. I mean, the, the, the idea is that 
if the first law of hustle is do something that moves you, the second law of hustle is keep your head up and look for opportunity. That, that's kind of having a strategic lens, right? A tactical lens on, on life. So being able to put yourself out and to connect possibilities and to think in ways that are unconventional and think in ways that will benefit you by creating opportunity or generating more opportunity in your life. So again, moving away from the notion of complacency or being inured by conditioning that you should settle, things are how they are and they won't change. Instead, looking at the world as this blank, infinite canvas of possibility. So whether that means that you and I have this podcast and five minutes after we get off, we hatch a new idea for a new media platform and then we build on that, right? Or we test it out and try and see where it goes. Or it's being willing to, you know, simply listen effectively. I don't think people listen enough these days, right? Mm -hmm. Listen to conversations and think about ways that you can enhance or add value in the world or help someone else out. Those are the ways that you apply this head layer by looking for opportunity and listening in, you know, maybe places that you typically wouldn't go. You know, so it's not simply networking. It's being effective in a way that uses your talents and allows you to leverage your, your ability to help other people or companies in the world. That's the head layer. Mm-hmm. And then let's move on to the habits, which we, we sort of touched on. It demonstrates how to spot opportunities and create your own luck. Sure. So, you know, if, if you've got the first two down, right? So if you're doing something that moves you, that's the heart layer, right? You're following the force for good, if you will. And you've, you've then moved on to allow yourself to take risks and small bets in the head layer. Then it's about focusing on the personal opportunity portfolio. So the habit layer is not about breaking old habits and forming new ones alone. I mean, there are countless books on those topics, but instead thinking about the habit of building into the four components of the pop. And so the pop again is the personal opportunity portfolio. And so what is it? So the key piece there is seal the deal, make it real. What does that mean? It means turning an opportunity into uh, some kind of concrete transaction or some way to create optionality, meaning upside growth in your life. And the, the basic idea is pop is about building into four different things, right? The, mm-hmm. the first piece of it is the potential. So the opportunity of increasing your capability. That's the first thing, the first layer. The second layer is the people layer, right? Mm -hmm. The opportunity of community. So that means building your relationships in the world in a meaningful way, attracting more people to your platform, figuring out how to leverage your relationships to add value to other people's lives, not only your own. So you got potential in people, and then you move into the actionable projects layer. And this is the opportunity of creativity. This is where you put your, your skills and talents out in the world and your network and so forth, and you build things that are meaningful, and you're creating some kind of legacy. And then that ties into the final piece of, of the personal opportunity portfolio, which is proof. So forget about the resume. The resume is a, a dead 2D, 2D version of your life. Instead, think in three dimension. The opportunity of increasing your credibility by pointing to things that you have done or helped create in the world. That's proof. It's the mm-hmm. most important aspect of this thing. And so if you do it in a correct way, right, leveraging potential, people, and projects and proof, you're going to create a very virtuous or harmonious circle where you're continuing adding value and increasing your the perception of what you know your worth in the world, and that's what you know that's what it should look like. So, you know, if you think about it as sort of a pie mm-hmm. cut into four 
four, four big um, quarters, you know, each of these is equally important. And I think the, the thing to keep in mind is that it never stops, right? So, you know, moving away from complacency again and thinking about how can you explore these different pieces and how can you constantly evolve and grow into them. The book gets much more, um, you know, in depth yeah. in, in each of these. But the basic idea is that it's not, you're not a static being. You're a being whose identity is going to change over time. Your capabilities are going to change over time. Your relationships and network are going to grow over time. And your proof, your body of work, if you will, if you're an artist, is going to continuously grow over time. And so it's worth being mindful, aware that you're constantly putting, you're investing your time and energy and intellectual capabilities and so forth into this thing. So you might as well, you know, again, the fact that it's dream ownership, like if you're going to own it, really own it, but mm -hmm. invest yourself in these different pieces. Yeah, that was a great explanation. Thanks so much for that. Let's move off of the book and on to another topic that I know is near and dear to your heart, and that's mental wellness. So why is helping others improve their mental health your purpose in life nowadays? So this is, uh, you know, I, I would argue the sort of the challenge of the times, if you will, the, the epidemic. It's um, largely, I think, caused by a fractured or fragmented experience of humanity, I think, and, and part of this is a product of technology, but also part of it is this acceptance that we can't be empowered. I think we need to be more empowered and more in touch with community. And I think that starts with a couple things. One is focusing on belonging. So many of us are so isolated nowadays that it creates an incredible and palpable anxiety and, and depression and addiction and sort of any array of, of, of problems that, that we deal with. You know, the worst, of, of course, being suicidal ideation. Uh, and as I've already mentioned, that you know, these, these are very serious and they affect us as individuals and they affect us as family. And so the, the idea that we can be stronger mentally and that we can be more proactive and taking care of and actually practicing empathy, right? Young and profiters, we are all making money. But is your money hustling for you? Meaning, are you investing? Putting your savings in the bank is just doing you a total disservice. You got to beat inflation. I've been investing heavily for years. I've got an E-Trade account. I've got a Robinhood account. And it used to be such a pain to manage all of my accounts. I'd hop from platform to platform. I'd always forget my Fidelity password. And then I have to reset my password. I knew that needed to change because I need to keep track of all my stuff. Everything got better once I started using Yahoo Finance the sponsor of today's episode. You can securely link up all of your investment accounts in Yahoo Finance for one unified view of your wealth. They've got stock analyst ratings. They have independent research. I can customize charts and choose what metrics I want to display for all my stocks so I can make the best decisions. I can even dig into financial statements and balance sheets of the companies that I'm curious about. Whether you're a seasoned investor or looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Young and profiters, Yap Media is growing so fast. I have 10 open roles just this month. In the past, it would take me so long to find hires. I have to go on all these different job sites. I have to create my own skills assessments. That's why I let Indeed do a lot of this heavy lifting for me. Indeed is the powerful hiring platform where I can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. Indeed 
has things like skills assessments, where when we have specific roles, we can find an assessment that matches that role and we can make sure they have the skills that we need. Then I can focus on culture fit. I can make sure they're scrappy enough and are obsessed with excellence and do all the things that we need to do for them to fit in at YAP. And Indeed streamlines hiring with powerful tools like Instant Match. An Instant Match basically matches you with candidates as soon as you put up a job post with people who are qualified right away. It's instant. And the best part is it gets better as you use it. So now when I use Indeed, especially when I'm hiring for similar roles, I get people right away where they know that I'm going to like the candidates because they can see what my preferences were in the past. It gets better as you use it. According to US Indeed data, the moment Indeed sponsors a job, over 80% of employers get candidates whose resumes are a perfect match for the position. It's like waving a magic wand that gets better as you use it. So I love using Indeed. We've found a lot of our A players on there. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide who count on Indeed to hire their next superstar like we do at Yap Media. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at indeed.com slash profiting. Offer is good for a limited time. Claim your $75 sponsored job credit at indeed.com slash profiting. Again, that's indeed.com slash profiting and support the show by saying you heard about it on Young and Profiting Podcast. Again, it's indeed.com slash profiting to get your $75 credit. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Caring about the well-being of other people is really important. Even if it's challenging for people, it's like take a minute and actually listen. That really helps, especially to your friends and family. If you can't start there, then I don't know where to begin. But you get out of our ego mind and, and say, you know what? There's a big world around us. And I think the other side of that is many of us are in denial. You know, Green talked about death denial. But I think this sort of the illness denial is that many of us, again, are functional, but we're not healthy, right? Mm. And so for society to be, to be better, for us to, to prosper and to flourish, then I think, you know, we need to spend more time thinking about how we can do a better job of taking care of ourselves and others. And so the whole mental wellness thing for me was, look, you know, I, I, I was acutely aware and sensitive to you know, those suffering around me as, you know, when I was young growing up and and had a kind of a chaotic upbringing myself. And I knew that this would be a theme or current in my life, which is to say, okay, how can we, we deal with the issues of sort of suffering? How can we, um, we help people be stronger, more confident that they can take care of themselves and can be there for other people? How do we help foster this sense of belonging community? Because we know based on the research that helping people to develop a better sense of confidence that they can change their lives for the better, they can transform, is one piece. Mm-hmm. And the other piece is having a healthy social network. Not, I'm not talking about Facebook. I'm not talking about technology at all. I'm talking about physical people that they can reach out and talk to you every day, at least call on the phone and be there for, is absolutely paramount to our well-being. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the, again, this deals with the real, right? Diving into the theater of the real not the fake, not the, the artificial, but instead saying, if you have friends of yours who might be suffering or if you're concerned about, don't wait. Reach out and make sure that you engage with them and see what you, what you can do in small ways. It may be as simple as just listening. I certainly, you know, at times, as an entrepreneur, you know this, you deal with mm-hmm. stress that's, that feels at times insurmountable and in many ways very alienating. So it's like, how can you plug back into the little things that in life that really matter. And in this case, it's a big thing because it's, it's relationships. It's knowing that you are loved. It's knowing that people care about you and vice versa. That really matters a lot. 
And um, in this fast moving fragmented world, it's very easy to overlook that. So yeah. that would be you know, one of the things that, that I would want to emphasize. One of the companies I co-founded called Radical Wellness Inc., you know, our entire focus was to help people deal with not acute, but chronic issues around anxiety and depression and mental health. And I, I don't think this is an issue that's going away anytime soon. You know, the general, the general sense of like, you know, we need to do a better job here because mm -hmm. there are a lot of people suffering. It's not an easy thing that we can quote unquote cure, but it is certainly something that we can place more attention on, that we can be there for other people and that we know there are any number or array of healing modalities that work, whether it's talk therapy, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy, whether mm -hmm. it's, it's simply getting out and being more active physically, spending more time in nature, cleaning your diet up and choosing, you know, making better choices about what you put into your body to begin with, sleep we've already talked about. All of these things are part of this wheel of health, if you will, that mm -hmm. are, are critical and that, that people need to be focused on. Yeah. So how do you think that improving our mental wellness will help progress humanity. Do you think that this is completely necessary for us to positively evolve as a species? <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, the short answer is, of course, if we're fragmented, alienated, disconnected, in many cases, you know, we've given up or we're so cynical, like, how is that good for society? How is that good mm -hmm. for any individual, right? Think about, like, the, the sick mind. No, I mean, the whole point of life is, I would argue is to, to be present, to be in a place of love and concern for yourself and others. And if you can do that, then of course you're going to help the world become a better place, right? What's the opposite of that? Is it, it's fear and hate? How is that moving us forward? Yeah. Right? That it just fundamentally doesn't work. So, you know, the question is, who is responsible? Well, uniquely as individuals, we are responsible for our own well-being. But then beyond that, it's like we're responsible as sort of family units, we're responsible mm -hmm. at community as a at a community level, and we need to engage in the dialogue and not deny it, right? We're responsible at in the business community and taking care of our people, right? And it's not just you know front line. I'm talking about you know there are many executives who who suffer horrific you know anxiety and depression and, and loneliness and so forth. So we're all part of this. This is part of being human. To move uh, society forward is to embrace empathy, to listen and show that you care. To, to embrace other people, to, to actually care about helping people feel better. And if you can't, helping point them in a direction where they can get better care. There's mm -hmm. so many ways to, to, to make a small difference. And I think that the, the simple thing that I want to do is to say, look, we can all do a better job. I'm not saying that it's going to be easy, but we're all in this together. And that's what we need to remember. Yeah, that's a great message. So tell us about Lada Labs and your upcoming documentary, We Care Here Film. Sure. So Lada Labs is a, you know, is a mobile software development company. We're focused on empowering health and wellness and uh, at the, both at the individual level and also at the, uh, the community level through shared experiences. And so we're, you know, very early stage. We've developed our, um, our MVP and we'll be launching in early 2020. Um, and are currently raising funds, and uh, we've been bootstrapped for some some time now. But we're we're very confident this is a good space. It's a space that will, you know, it's, it's essentially when you think about health and wellness as uh, an industry, it's a five trillion dollar space. Wow. People's needs will continue to to be unmet until we've come to a point where we think that by giving people better options as far as taking care of themselves, 
and better options in terms of activities and community that we can help solve some of these needs. But again, you know, we're, we're in a, um, what I'd say is a fragile time to the degree that, you know, we believe people need better outlets and, because there's just too many people suffering. And that's one, that's one argument. The other argument is that, you know, we think that technology can, can be better used to help people feel better about, about themselves and feel better about life. And so, you know, those are some of the things that we're thinking through as we, uh, as we weave technology and, and kind of our, our brand experience into, um, into a launch. Now, you know, we may be pivoting along the way. We don't know yet. But I think, you know, if you think about you know, some of the apps out there, whether it's meditation space or mindfulness, you know, Headspace and Calm, or mm-hmm. we've already talked about the sleep space, you know, Casper and, and some of the others out there. Like there's, there are innumerable things that we can do to enhance the quality of lives for people. And I think that's fundamentally of importance to me. It's part of my personal mission. And when you talk about ownership, if I can leave a legacy where I've helped improve people's lives from a health standpoint and a sense of well-being, then I've done my job. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. And then you have an upcoming documentary when does that come out and what's sure. that about? Yeah. So with my, my brother, Alex, uh, Alexander, who's the director and producer and, and, and Don Harvey is our executive producer. And we have some incredible members of the team as far as advisors go, you know, from, from Louis Black, co-founder of South by Southwest, to Elizabeth Avellan, who is, you know, producer Rob Rodriguez's partner. Our focus, again, is to, is to help tell the story of the shift in one city's culture and focus and economy and looking at the different factors that are so hard to deal with when you're trying to honor the tradition, but also to move forward, you know, and so that will be out, we hope in the spring, we'll probably do a uh, debut at South by Southwest and then go to the festival circuit. But we care here, film.com is where people can visit and find out more information. So far, we're, I think say three quarters of uh, the way through production, then we'll go into post um, in the next eight weeks or so. That's awesome. Jonas, starting this episode, I'm starting a new tradition on Young and Profiting Podcast. I'm going to end my interview with the same question for every guest. And the question is, what's your secret to profiting in life? I think the main thing is, you know, as I was, was talking about this idea of, you know, being willing to, to know thyself. Well, what mm-hmm. does that mean, right? The idea that the essence of our experience in life is self-knowledge and the pursuit of wisdom and, and exploring who we are. Constantly living, learning, and growing is the, the way that we profit the most in life. Forget about the economic consequences. Forget about any notions or, or, or ideas about other priorities. It is knowing thyself and becoming a better person because of that. I think that's the key. I love that. And where can our listeners go to learn everything about you and everything that you do? Sure. Uh, just visit JonasKoffler.com or, you know, go to Koffler Pictures. Either one of those works. Um, you can always tweet at me, at Jonas Koffler, and, um, or sign up for my you know, email list. Happy to do that as well. But keep, keep focused on what matters to you. That's my lesson. Know thyself. And I think, if anything, uh, don't be afraid to do something that moves you. Thank you so much, Jonas. This was such a great conversation. Appreciate it. My pleasure. And thanks so much to you and your team. Thanks for listening to Young and Profiting Podcast. 
If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to leave us a review or comment on your favorite platform. Follow Yap on Instagram at Young and Profiting and check us out at youngandprofiting.com. And now you can chat live with us every single day on Yap Society on Slack. Check out our show notes or youngandprofiting.com for the registration link. And if you're already active on Yap Society, share the wealth and invite your friends. You can find me on Instagram at Yap with Hala or LinkedIn. Just search for my name, Hala Taha. Big thanks to the Yap team as always. Stay blessed and I'll catch you next time.